Good morning, everyone. My name's Luke. Um, well, I have the privilege of opening the word and reading to you. Um, this is chapter one. Uh, we're reading from verse uh, 16. And there we go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Uh, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. And they went into Capernaum, And immediately, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and calling out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, And kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. 
but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Luke. Uh, good morning. If you need to jump up and grab one, they were on the table. We probably handed one on the way in. Uh, so a good authority can make all the difference, can't it, in your life? Uh, when you know that you can trust them, their motives, their care, uh, and their plans for you, that can be a really good thing. And if you think of a doctor when you're sick, uh, you need someone you can rely on to get the diagnosis correct. Uh, and there can be dangers when you trust the wrong sort of authority. Uh, Google just lost a whole heap of money uh, on the stock market just recently when they launched their artificial intelligence uh, called BARD. And that was to rival chat GPT, uh, which has been in the news. Uh, perhaps that's becoming the new authority. It's bot got a question wrong, and that single mistake then wiped 7% off the parent company's market value. Uh, so according to the BBC, that was to the tune of 100 million US, lost because of a wrong answer. <laughs> so we need to get things right, don't we? Uh, when it comes to authority, that's really important. So I'll be looking at these amazing snapshots uh, here of Jesus' kingly authority in the first chapter of Mark, the calling of the disciples, this incredible day in the life of Jesus at Capernaum, and then the authority of his preaching as well. That's, that's our three areas that we're going to cover. And so firstly, his is an authority that is worth it is takes place on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus comes across Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, who've gone fishing. That's verse 17. Jesus says to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And that call is powerful, uh, because these disciples follow him straight away. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And, and then there's another snapshot. Uh, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their necks, and immediately called them, uh, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Uh, the word that Mark uses a lot is the word immediately. Uh, and it's used in different ways. It can just mean so or then. So it's like, th then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It sort of links it all together. It doesn't necessarily always mean immediately. So it could be, then they left their nets, and then verse 20, then he called them. Uh, you remember, Mark is a master of summary, and he's summarising a moment here that we actually have extra detail for uh, over in uh, John chapter 1. Uh, and that might suggest a little bit more to the story. Uh, and I'll leave you to explore that uh, perhaps later on tonight. But we also can't downplay that word either. Because the context actually does his radical message. Then his radical call of them leads to this radical response. Uh, and the fact that James and John leave their father in the boat with the family fishing business does seem to indicate a, an immediate response, but also a costly response. Uh, the fact that they have hired servants speaks enough that you can employ staff. 
And Jesus commands this kind of radical discipleship. It's used by God in his sovereign plans to change the world. That's what he does in their lives. If you know the rest of the story through the New Testament, it's astonishing what he does with fishermen. And this wasn't just about a change. This was part of God's plans to reach the world with the gospel through ordinary human beings following his son. And so clearly Jesus has this profound effect on them. They saw him as someone worth leaving everything for. Let's just get this clear, though. This is not teaching that everyone needs to leave their job. It's not necessarily a blueprint for you waking up tomorrow morning and deciding not to go to work. Uh, But they saw an authority that would change the course of their lives and draw them in on what God was doing, from earthly business to kingdom business, reaching people by sharing the good news of God, God's heart for people the true and truly dignified human experience. Any other authority will not do that in your life. And there's a sense in which our internal authority is not good for us. Uh, To put yourself as master of your fate, captain of your soul, is to push God off the throne in your life. Uh, To follow your heart. Uh, I, I heard the lines of this hymn, Uh, It's a hymn to humanity, and it goes like this. Glory be to me in the highest, for I am the master of all things. And that is the lie that humanity has been telling itself ever since the garden, like we heard from Scott before. We follow all the wrong things, even from within. I follow me, you do you, I decide what's best, you be the final arbiter of what you need and what you think is good. Uh, We don't need no one to tell us what to do. Oh, yes, we're on our own and there's nothing you can do. Uh, That's the living end, if you know that. It sounds so noble, but it is the lie that you are captive to and it means your self-centeredness will just know no bounds. Following Jesus in your life is an act of surrender to him who is greater, who knows better and knows what is best for you even if it means leaving behind what you think is good or best. And yet, it comes at a cost. Jesus acknowledges that. Uh, we could go to Mark chapter 10, where Peter says to him, look, Lord, we've, followed, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake, And for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. He is worthy of your decisive discipleship. He is worth following. He is more trustworthy, powerful, loving and glorious than you could even possibly imagine. If Jesus is who who this says he is then he's worth following in your life as well. He alone deserves to rule uh, in your life and in mine. And so he invites you along in this great gospel adventure. And wasn't it just that for these men, for these disciples, walking with Jesus each day, learning from him, growing in faith alongside him, 
discovering more about who he is each and every day, and their experience of Jesus can be yours and mine too. So following Jesus with Mark's gospel like this is like, it's like a handbook on discipleship. It starts with this question of authority. Who will you follow in your life? And if you leave it up to Google, you're going to run into issues. Jesus' authority is worth everything. And the next snapshot we'll look at is really several snapshots altogether. And we'll be talking about his authority over oppression and sickness. See, it moves through the events of a single day at this town of Capernaum on the northern banks of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus starts his day there teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Uh, There are these limestone ruins that still stand there today. They're actually from the 4th century synagogue there, but the foundations of that that synagogue are actually older because they're made of a different kind of stone, and it dates back to the 1st century. So the archaeological evidence uh, supports what the Gospel writers uh, record so carefully for us. And so Jesus' teaching, his deliverance ministry, his healing are all... And I want us to go straight to the really difficult stuff with this, his authority over evil. See, as we discover what Jesus is doing, we discover who he is. And we'll return to his teaching authority in verse 22 in our next point. So now we're going to pick it up from verse 23. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man and he cried out, What have you got to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebukes him, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. What a moment. And we'll mentioned in Mark chapter 1. Uh, we've already seen angels ministering to Jesus back in verse 13. Uh, but angels might seem a little bit more familiar to us. Uh, you might hang an, an angel on your Christmas tree every year. Uh, I don't think an ornamental Christmas demon is likely to get past mum, is it, for Christmas. Uh, but there's a heap of unclean spirits reported here in the coming chapters. What are we to make of it? Is this something that we ought to be concerned for or are we better off disregarding it? Are you weirded out or are you freaked out by this? Uh, Some of you will know this uh, uh, from uh, C.S. Lewis, the C.S. Lewis here. There are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The demons themselves, they themselves, are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. The unseen world is seen loud and clearly in Jesus' ministry. Uh, There was an author, Peter Bolt, who describes this unseen world as a bit like the mafia You know, we know that they're there, that they exist, they're operating in our city, the underbelly, yet most of us don't tend to come in contact with organised crime gangs uh, or know really much about them until they're reported on the news. But we need to know that this 
unseen spiritual world does exist. And there are specific times when it's revealed to people for a purpose. And in the Old Testament, it takes God to open people's eyes to this world that we don't normally see. And for that, I'll give you an example, uh, which is one of my favourites. It comes from Numbers 22. It's Balaam, who didn't see an angel right in front of him that was blocking his path until the Lord opened his eyes. And what was it? His eyes opened. And so while it is good to be aware of that realm, uh, it can also be an unhealthy obsession where we end up hiding under the doona in terror. And I want to say, if that's you, please see here there is absolutely nothing to fear with Jesus on your side. Look at his authority. The reports here of demon possession are some kind of pre-scientific explanation of a a perfectly rational medical episode. That is not the case. The, The gospel writers delineate between a medical condition like a fever uh, with Peter's mother-in-law and this kind of spiritual oppression. It's just there uh, than what ours is today. But we need to see that there is more to this world than what we can see. And the Bible is really clear about that. Uh, Go to Ephesians 6, uh, where it says that Christians are engaged in a spiritual battle in the heavenly places. And we need to stand firm in what God has given us for that fight. Satan is at work, but he is no match for Jesus. Don't make the mistake of dualism, uh, thinking that good and evil are equal and opposite forces in this world, because that's not the case. Jesus is far more powerful. He is far greater, and Satan cannot win, because Jesus, removing his authority at the cross... And so Satan's accusations can no longer stick uh, because he who is in me by his spirit is greater than he who is in the world. And it's interesting that this unclean spirit recognises Jesus, the Holy One of God. And God himself is in the flesh right there in front of him. And at a word, Jesus commands him and it's just spectacular And what Mark is going to show us is that where Jesus has command over the spiritual forces of this world and they recognise him for that, the religious leaders will reject him and fail to see the same. They will fail to see Jesus for who he is. And it will speak of their blindness and their lack of authority. And so look at the response to this event in the synagogue. Verse 27. They were all amazed... And they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the whole surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus goes viral at this point, where our culture just toys with the spiritual realm uh, and makes it a bit of make-believe or a bit of entertainment. The reality is, is Jesus reigns in all realms, seen and unseen. And he even has authority over sickness. Uh, See, where our culture is really blind and dismissive of the spiritual, uh, it can also be blind and dismissive of the needs of those in our community 
who suffer right in front of us. And from verse 29, Jesus then goes to the house of Simon, Peter and Andrew uh, with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lays seriously ill and someone remembers to tell Jesus about her. And look at verse 31. All it takes is a touch. And he takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and she's healed. And she too begins a life of service in response. And it's a thankful and joyful act of discipleship. How incredible would that have been to be in that house that day? Uh, The day that she came out healed, ready with morning tea after church. Phenomenal. And this is everything that you can imagine here. The healings keep coming. People are set free from their spiritual oppression. And so the whole city gets in on this. Jesus is totally viral. By verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he wouldn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Interesting detail there. See, these are case studies of the demon-possessed man being delivered, then Simon's mother-in-law healed from her fever, and they now widen to the entire town coming to Jesus in response to find healing and wholeness in this incredible saviour who has authority over every realm of their lives. And that is to see his authority over oppression and sickness. Uh, But we've seen in these snapshots encounters with Jesus where he's overturned the trajectory of their lives. Sorry, go on to the next one here. Uh, They picture what it means to be set free by Jesus and he delivers from evil, saves from sickness And they're a snapshot of his rescue in your life and my life. His authority over evil, his power to heal. But there's a question, isn't it? Hanging over this, isn't there? What about today? Now, you can get this and go, wow, Jesus is amazing. But should you and I then go off and start a deliverance ministry or a healing ministry? Is this what this is teaching us? Jesus did it, so why not go and do likewise? And that's usually the logic at play. Why not take on the horrible hordes of Satan and get stuck into the department and offer miracle healing in Jesus' name? Can I say that the heart behind that is right? Absolutely that's right. It's just the thinking isn't. That is not what Jesus did next. He didn't stay to heal more and more people. Have a look, verse 35. Rising, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And who can blame them? His presence among them must have just been so precious. Imagine having Jesus as your pastor, quite happy to step aside if that's the case. It'd be, it'd be a temptation, though, to keep Jesus to ourself, ourselves. Look at what he can do for us. And it's partly selfish, trying to fit Jesus into your own agenda like that, but it's also just partly a genuine desire to be with him. 
And really, the reality is, for followers of Jesus, person, physically, uh, there will be a day where we meet him face to face and there'll be no more evil and no more suffering and no more death. And this is really a snapshot of that. Sickness and disease are not right and it makes us long for something greater. And so this is a snapshot, a taster of what heaven will be like in the presence of Jesus where there will be no more disease and evil, no more death, no more COVID ruining people's lives, no more despair and depression and loneliness and cancer, and we will be together with him. But before then, there's actually work to be done. That's why Jesus called his disciples, and his priority needs to be ours too. So look what he says next, verse 38. He said to them, Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That is why Jesus was sent, not to be primarily a miracle worker, the signs and wonders Jesus, but to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, repent and believe in the gospel. He's not just the saviour of one town, but the whole of Israel, in fact the whole world. And his is a word ministry. He exercises his authority through his word of proclamation. And if that's his one priority, is to preach the gospel. And to do otherwise, we'll end up turning Jesus into something other than what this says he is. So let's ask, do you believe in the power of his word? Are you yourself under his authority in your life? Do you believe in the liberating? Does it have the same lasting priority in your life? Because if it does, it will inform every decision. It will exercise its authority over what you think and say and do, your relationships, your work, uh, your family life, everything. And it will compel you to share this gospel with others. Carry it with you wherever you go. And it will continue its authoritative work in extending God's kingdom. So his priority needs to be ours, to hear and tell the gospel. God's word is living and active. It is able to change us from the inside out, able to set us free from captivity to sin, to our rampant autonomy that we clutch hold of, and to help us to live and serve and follow Jesus as your saviour. And Lord. So Jesus began his ministry with that singular focus, preaching the gospel. And that takes us back into verses 14 and 15. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. The synagogue had this amazing authority, and it comes first and foremost. He healed, he cast demons out, but he first came to preach. They were the side benefits, but not his focus. And we need to see here that the signs and wonders of deliverance and healing, they are part of the gospel fireworks going on. And they're pointing us to the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of Jesus' message. And his actions speak to his character. This is like no one you've met before. This is not like me and you. This is God himself in the flesh. And the final snapshot in this story today is a story about you and me. And you need to put yourself here. So verse 40, 
a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion or pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. That is astounding compassion. Jesus is willing, where it once would make you unclean by touching someone with leprosy in those days. Jesus touches him and makes him clean. He reverses the curse of the law. And it's just like nothing or anyone you've ever seen before. His willingness contrasts our unwillingness and our rejection of people in our community. Uh, A saviour given is a saviour scorned unless a deep need is felt. I'll read that again. A saviour given is a saviour scorned unless a deep need is felt. And you and I need to see our own need because none of us are clean. None of us are healthy when it comes to our sin. And you and I have great need of his touch, his forgiveness, his compassion. And by the end of the chapter, Jesus faces a conundrum. Uh, The more he heals and delivers, the more people are coming to him. And when he needs space, he's forced out into the wilderness and it becomes a huge problem. And we need to see that we need to not get so caught up with the sign that we miss the reality. And that was the problem with the crowds. They were coming for the miracles, not for the person that they were pointing to. And that can be a real problem for us and we need to actually grapple with that. And so Jesus is beckoning you and me to come and follow him. It's the greatest adventure there is. Come and see his amazing authority over every sphere of your life, things unseen and things seen. Come and see his compassion to heal his priority of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus and his kingdom authority. That is more powerful than evil. It's able to set each one of us free. And Lord, we pray that we would trust you more and put your word as priority over our lives. Help us to share the gospel boldly, to reach out to those who are lost or trapped or suffering with the great hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we might see people set free in our community from all the things uh, that capture them uh, to the wrong authority. And we thank you for our all-powerful, loving and rescuing King. So we pray in his mighty name. Amen.